0: It's so good to see you this morning. Good to have you here. Hope you had a good weekend. You know, I was thinking this weekend, as we do celebrate our nation's birthday and the freedom that we have in America, that there's still no freedom like being set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) That's, That's the best freedom. That is the best freedom. That's an eternal freedom. That's real freedom that can never be taken away from us. Luke chapter 23 today, we're going through the gospel of Luke, and we're almost finished. We finish up next week with Luke 24, and as we're going through the gospel of Luke, we're looking at this gospel from the perspective of learning what it means to serve the Lord, and how to be a better servant of the Lord, and how God wants to teach us to be his servants. Jesus said that If anyone wants to serve me, they must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. John 12, 27 is where those words are recorded. And so today, as we come to this passage where Jesus is actually crucified, a very sobering and and somber part of Scripture... I want us to look at it from the standpoint of opportunities lost, opportunities gained, and opportunities taken. Because when it comes to serving the Lord, that's one of the things you and I have to learn to do is not lose the opportunities we have with God and in this life, the time that God gives us, and also to gain the opportunities that we have and to take some other opportunities. That's all part of learning to be an effective an active servant of the Lord. This morning, I'd like to actually begin with a couple verses towards the end of the chapter. In Luke 23, verse 48 and 49, all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, because it was certainly a sight to behold, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts which, by the way, was a very unusual response. Uh, Many of these people had seen hundreds of crucifixions in their life, and yet they left that day sort of not feeling good about what they had just witnessed and what they were a part of because, remember, the majority of this crowd actually was screaming for this man, Jesus, to be crucified. So instead of feeling like justice was done as you and I would maybe at times, like he got what he deserved, they didn't feel good about it. Maybe there's been times in our life where we chose to be part of something and then after it was over or it was through, it was like, nah, that really didn't, hit it for me, or that, that, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be, or I really am now sort of sorry that I was a part of that, or that, that didn't, you know, uh, feel as good as I thought it was going to feel. That's what these people were feeling. And then it says, And all those who knew Jesus stood at a distance, and the women who had followed him from Galilee saw these things. Let's remember that at this time in Jerusalem, this was Passover. So Jerusalem would swell to thousands upon thousands of people. There were maybe over a 100,000, if not a couple hundred thousand people in Jerusalem to witness the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, as God says in his word. This was not something that I did in a corner somewhere. This was something I did out in front of the Roman Empire and the Jewish authorities, and so many witnesses saw what took place that day. But in the midst of all that, I want us to look at this from the perspective of, first of all, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but on opportunities that were lost during this time. In fact, if you go back to the chapter before chapter 23, and then we'll run into chapter 23, I actually want you to go up to chapter 22 and look at verses 47 and 48. Because the first opportunity lost... Is with a man by the name of Judas. While he was still speaking, Jesus, suddenly a crowd appeared, and the man named Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He walked up to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? A universal sign of friendship and love. Judas Iscariot. One of the 12 disciples, do you want to talk about someone whose life, if you will, illustrates opportunities lost? Here's a man that was able for approximately three years to walk with Jesus on earth, the Son of God, to see the miracles that Jesus did, to hear out of his own ears, if you will, the teachings of Jesus, the message of Jesus, to just be with Jesus, and, and to be with even other followers of Jesus. I mean... There couldn't have been a better environment for this man. And yet Judas is also a great sort of cautionary tale and illustration for us that you can place a human being in the absolute best environment possible. And yet if their heart is not open to what God wants to do and who God is, it doesn't matter what the environment is. Because it has to be a personal choice. It has to be something that every individual truly wants. And it has to be from a heart level, not from an external level. Externally, Judas had every advantage any human being could ever have. There is not somebody that could have not been placed in a better Position, but it made no difference to Judas Iscariot. He lost all of those days. All of that opportunity was lost on him because of his heart not being open to the Lord. So that's the first. The second, if you go down to chapter 23, is a man by the name of Pilate, the governor that Jesus stood before in one of his many trials. Look at verse 1 and 2. Then the whole group, the Jewish Sanhedrin we've been talking about, that that religious ruling body that, that was under the umbrella of the Roman Empire, the whole group of them rose up and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation, forbidding us to pay the tribute tax to Caesar, and claiming that he himself is Christ, a king. First of all, some of that was just totally made up wasn't true at all Jesus never told them they couldn't pay taxes in fact several weeks ago we said he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. So they were making up a bunch of trumped up charges against Jesus. But anyway, Jesus is standing before a man named Pilate. Now we don't have time to go into all this. You can obviously read it or have read it for yourself. But you know that several times as Jesus stands before Pilate, Pilate basically goes to the crowd and says, I can't find anything worthy of death that this man has done. And he wanted to release him. In fact, even in the middle of the, trial, if you know there's one place in one of the Gospels where the Bible tells us that that Pilate's wife actually has a dream that God gives her, and she sends a message to her husband, who's the governor, in the middle of the trial saying, please don't have anything to do with this man because he's a righteous man. And for her to interrupt her husband at such a a crucial point would have been totally unheard of. That, that shows, in a sense, how moved she was, that she felt like she had to do this. She had to warn her husband, let this man go. And in spite of all that, you know, the messages that he himself felt in his own heart and mind, that this man was not worthy to be put to death and crucified, what his wife had sent to him and all this, he caves into the pressure. He caves in to the pressure. Because you notice there in verse 5, after he said, I find no basis for accusation, verse 4, they, the crowd, persisted. They kept the pressure on, never letting up. We, We understand that, right? We're living in a world today that that's how certain groups and certain people get things done is they just keep the pressure on and they don't let up until they get their way. That was the crowd that was around these trials. In fact, look down at verse 18 of chapter 23. They all shouted out together, take this man away and release Barabbas to us. It was like a concert of action that that this crowd was going through. Look at verse 21. They kept on shouting, crucify him, crucify him, yelling over and over again. Verse 23, they were insistent, demanding with loud shouts that he be crucified. They kept pressing their point louder and louder because even in that day like it is today, many times it's the people who speak up the loudest and who are the loudest that get their way. And we see that that's exactly what happened here because notice at the end of verse 23, their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He didn't believe it, but he caved into the pressure and Pilate had an opportunity before him to stand up and to do what was right not was what was maybe the crowd wanted done, not what everybody else wanted done, but what was the right thing to do. Even knowing that that's what he believed in his own heart and mind, because he declares it three times, I don't find any reason to put this man to death. But the pressure kept coming. They would not relent. They kept getting louder. And finally, he said, fine, opportunity lost. And we know back with Judas how Judas' life ended. He felt so bad about betraying Jesus that he went out and hung himself and took his own life. Well, a very similar fate happened to Pilate. Pilate was never the same again, and his life began to spiral downward after this event to the place where, in a few years, Pilate would also take his own life. Opportunities lost. Then, if you go back to chapter 23, look at verses 6 and 7. Another one who lost an opportunity with Jesus was Herod, Herod Antipas. This is not Herod the Great. This is Herod Antipas, the one that Jesus was alive when he ruled. And when Pilate heard that this man, Jesus, was a Galilean, he thought, oh, good, he's from Herod's jurisdiction. He was actually trying to pass the buck before he gave in, he sent him to Herod. And, of course, Herod had always wanted to— he had this insatiable curiosity to, to know and have Jesus literally stand in front of him because he'd heard so much about Jesus from so many others, and it was like, i I, I got to talk to this man. And the Bible says he just kept throwing and interrogating intensely questions at Jesus, verse 9. I mean, over and over again, and yet notice Jesus' response. He gave him no answer. Gave him no answer. Because Jesus is a great example to us that if you know the person that you're standing in front of has no interest at all in really hearing the truth, then why give them the truth? You see. Know your audience. Know their heart. Is their heart open to hearing truth? Fine. Share it. But don't cast your pearls before swine, Jesus said. And that's exactly what he did to Herod, because he knew that Herod had no interest in really hearing what Jesus had to say. He was all about always just promoting his own position in this life. And Jesus gave him no answer. Herod also, his life did not end well. He actually was sent, he was demoted, by the Roman Empire from his position, he was sent into exile, think about that, and literally died in disgrace a few years later. All these people that had opportunities with Jesus and did not take them, their life didn't end well, sort of like the crowd that went away, beating their chests and beating their breasts, saying, man, it." Didn't feel right. I'm sorry I was a part of this. This didn't go the way I wanted to. And we see this over and over again with people either in the Bible or even in our own life. When they have spiritual opportunities or opportunities with God and they don't take them, how their life then can just continue to either spiral downward or, or take a very tragic or unhappy ending. One more. And that is over in verse 39, one of the criminals that was crucified on either side of Jesus. In verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him, literally blasphemed Jesus, is what the word railed means, saying, aren't you the Christ, then save yourself and us. Problem is, if Jesus would have saved himself, no one else ever could have been saved, right? So I thank the Lord that he didn't save himself out of love for others like you and I. Here was a a man that was literally hanging on a cross beside of Jesus. His life, he knew, was soon to be over. He was going to go out into eternity, and yet, like the others, like Herod, like Pilate, like Judas... His heart was not open to Jesus and to who Jesus was. Even after he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He he could have had an opportunity here to accept the Lord right before he died, and yet he didn't take it. It was lost, and he went out into an eternity without Christ and without salvation. I think of how many people down through history, human beings who were so close, they had opportunity after opportunity. Maybe they went to church week after week. Maybe they were, you know, thinking about accepting the Lord over and over again. And I obviously, as a pastor, for as many years as I've been a pastor, I've been in many. Hospice rooms, or hospital rooms, or places where people have passed on, and, and I've been right there with them. And obviously, there are many, many, many that that knew the Lord and went out with that with that confidence that when they died, they were going to be with Jesus in heaven. But there were others that I that man they they just never made that decision. Never made that even when they knew, just like this man that their life was soon to be over, opportunities lost. Well, if that was all this chapter was about, that would be a pretty, you know, depressing chapter, but it's not. Because just like in our life, just like as we see in other people's lives, for every opportunity lost, there are also those that there's opportunities gained. And I want to first draw your attention to a man named Simon of Cyrene in verse 26 of chapter 23. Here was a man who had no idea what that day was going to bring other than he had already traveled, and this is important, he had already traveled some 800 miles from Africa to be in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Okay? So what we need to remind ourselves of is sometimes opportunities come our way because we put ourselves in a certain place. And obviously, even back then, that would have taken great effort, a large amount of his time and all of that, to to travel from Africa to Jerusalem to be there for Passover. But he had no idea and no intent on his own of being the one to carry the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ to the place of the skull. But that's exactly what happened. Notice, as they led Jesus away, they seized Simon of Cyrene. So here's another thing. Simon didn't choose this opportunity for himself. It was placed upon him. But the idea was he would have never even had this opportunity to be the one to carry the cross of Jesus Christ up to that hill had he not been in that place to begin with. See, sometimes you and I get opportunities that are placed upon us that actually are opportunities of honor, but if we're not there, we won't experience it. We won't have that opportunity. So sometimes it's being in the place God wants us to be and then God opens up something that's totally unexpected but a blessing because what is looked at maybe by a lot of other people at that time like great humiliation. Oh, you're the guy that gets to carry the cross of Jesus to the hill of the skull? Can you imagine once Jesus rose from the dead, what an honor that was for that man to be the one. I mean, can you imagine? It'd be hard for me not to be a person to go around, yeah, I'm the guy that carried the cross, yeah, that's me, Simon, Siren, Cyrene, Cyrene, you know. And what's really cool about it is, because we don't know whether he, you know, what kind of of belief or whatever he had before this. I mean, obviously, he was a religious man because he wanted to be in Jerusalem for Passover. But we don't know whether he was a true believer in Yahweh at this point, but we do know from the rest of the New Testament that he must have become a believer in Jesus Christ because two of his sons, two of his sons become real leaders in the early church, which is really cool. Were they impacted by watching their dad Carry the cross of Jesus Christ to Calvary? I don't know. I don't know. But there was certainly some impression made there. And they placed the cross on his back and made him carry it behind Jesus. Wow. Again, to to many people, that would have been humiliating. But to us who are Christians, What an honor to be able to carry the cross of Jesus. And yet I couldn't help but think Jesus asks us every day to take that opportunity, doesn't he? When he says, if you want to be one of my disciples, you've got to be willing to take up your own cross and follow me. What an opportunity you and I have to, in a sense, continue to carry that cross every day, just like Simon of Cyrene Are we taking the opportunity, like Simon, to follow behind Jesus Christ, carrying a cross? The second opportunity gained is the other criminal that was crucified on the other side of Jesus. Verse 40, the other rebuked the other criminal that blasphemed Jesus, saying, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve for what we did. Wow! Somebody who's accepting responsibility. Isn't that, you know, heartwarming? In a day and age where it seems like human beings run from accepting responsibility, here's a man who's dying and says, you know what? You and I are getting what we deserve. But notice he says... This man has done nothing wrong. Whoa. Even he is saying, you know what? He shouldn't be here with us. And I love this sort of back and forth for just a few moments that they had together that this man and Jesus had on the cross because then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. Literally, think of me. Do you know what? Jesus never forgets us. Jesus is always thinking of us. We may be in positions like this, men, where we think that somehow God has forgotten about us or he doesn't think about us or that we're not on God's mind, but the Bible teaches us that we were always on the mind of God. And I want to assure you and and encourage you today, you may have come here today thinking, has God forgotten about me? And does he think about me? And does he remember me? And all I can tell you is absolutely, based upon the authority of his own word, yes, he's never stopped thinking about you. He always remembers you. And then he says, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. Now, that took a couple things for that man to say that. First of all, it took courage for that man to say that because basically he was defying everybody else around him. Because everybody else was saying, crucify him. He's getting what, and in fact, even the other criminal. So he's going against the crowd, if you will, by saying what he did. And he also took great faith. Not just great courage, great faith for that man to say that, because here's a man who claims to be a king, who claims to be, you know, large and in charge. I'm the son of God, and yet he's dying the same death that I am. That took great faith to believe in Jesus, even though the circumstances appeared otherwise. Because we are to walk by faith and not by sight. I love what Jesus said. Because Jesus responds to his faith with reassurance. He says, I tell you the truth. Because if you ever want to know the truth, just listen to God. God will give us the truth all day long. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's even better than a kingdom. Jesus says, oh, by the way, yeah, you'll be part of the kingdom, but you're going to be in a place called paradise. Oh, and you're not going to have to wait. You're not going to have to go through something called purgatory because that's not biblical. Today, you're going to be with me, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in a place called paradise. That's the hope every one of us has as believers in Jesus Christ. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's one of the questions I get more than any other as a pastor. What happens to us when we die? You go to be with Jesus in paradise. That very second that you die here, you go to be with Jesus in paradise just like this man did. Opportunity gained, right? Opportunity gained. To put his faith in Jesus Christ, even in his dying hour. Are we taking the opportunity to place our faith in Christ, to not listen to the world around us and what they think of Jesus and to be influenced like he was, but to put our not, to not walk by sight, but to walk by faith? All these opportunities that he gained right there, even while he was suffering himself hanging on a cross, which leads to another opportunity gained. Verse 47, the centurion. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent or literally righteous. Notice that while the centurion was listening to the words coming out of Jesus' mouth, watching not only uh, how he lived, but but watching and being impressed and impacted by how he died, that this man was so moved, he began to worship God. Think about that. A crucifixion would normally not be a place for a worship service, right? (laughs) And yet, what the Bible is teaching us is even during a crucifixion, even a time of pain and suffering can be a time to worship the Lord. It can be an opportunity gained, just as it was with the centurion. And you and I understand that because of the hope that we have. We know that even times of pain and suffering, like we talked about Wednesday night from the book of James, can be a time where our hearts are filled with joy, not because of the trial itself, but because we know what the trials of our life are producing. They're purposeful. They help to bring us to a greater level of spiritual maturity. So. In our pain and suffering, we can worship the Lord, that none of this is wasted in our life, and it actually is profitable and beneficial, and that we know a God and serve a God that can work out all things together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We even know that when friends and family, believers in Christ die, that even in those times of pain and suffering, And heartache and loss can be a time where we are moved to worship because we know that we will see them again one day in glory. We can be moved to worship just like the centurion. And then one other opportunity gained. Verse 50, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, that Sanhedrin that wanted to put Jesus to death, but the Bible says he was a good and righteous man. He had not been part of their plan and action, verse 51. He was from a Judean town of Arimathea and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Why is this important? Because if someone didn't ask for the body, the Romans would either bury these bodies because they had no regard for dead bodies. They would either bury the bodies of all these criminals in mass graves, or they would literally let them rot on the cross. When this man stepped up and took that opportunity to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. That was showing his faith in Jesus and his love for Jesus that he was going to give Jesus a proper burial. And man, this was no easy task because the Bible doesn't tell us here that he had any help at all at this point. So notice in verse 53, he took it down, wrapped his body in a linen cloth and placed it in his own tomb out of the rock where No one had yet been buried. He had a a burial place, because he was a pretty wealthy man. It'd be like he bought all these burial plots, and he obviously had one that, you know, wasn't spoken for yet, so he put Jesus in that. But to think, obviously Jesus, no pun intended, was dead weight after he died on the cross. So he had to go up there. He had to take those spikes out of his feet and out of his hands. He had to somehow get, you know, blood all over him, somehow get the body off of the cross, had to take it to the tomb, which wouldn't have been right there, had to wrap, I mean, this man put a lot of effort, but what I also wanted to see is that this man was blessed to have some extra resources and stuff in his life, and guess what he did? He used those resources to bring God glory and for God's kingdom. He gained because he had. It's like, I'm going to step up. I'm going to use one of the, I mean, it's just sitting there. Nobody's using that burial plot. I'm going to put my Jesus in there. Now, I don't think most people believe that he wasn't going to be in there very long. We're going to talk about that next week. He's only going to be in there three days. But Joseph stepped up and gained an opportunity here to use the things that God blessed him with and his resources to be a part of God's plan and God's kingdom. Are we taking those same opportunities? And then that leads me to this last and most important. Opportunities taken, not just lost, not just gained, but taken. And I want us to end by looking at Jesus Christ because you can't look at anyone better than Jesus Verse 44, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon because the sun's light failed. The temple curtain was torn in two and then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And after he said this, he breathed his last. Two things, two opportunities taken from Jesus himself. First, to lay down his life. Notice in verse 46, it said, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Can you imagine, after all Jesus had been through, up all night, scourged, beaten, all of that, crucified, most people, when they're dying, when they're ready to die, they don't have a strong voice. I've been there at the bedsides of people who die. They either don't say anything, they can barely talk, or they're just at a whisper. It's a very weak voice because, in a sense, all their energy, all their life and everything has been ebbed out of them. No, 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 not Jesus. Jesus here at the very end of his life is, in a sense, giving a roar of victory. He is saying, I am dying confidently, I am dying willingly, and I am dying victoriously because no one is taking my life from me and no one can take my life from me. I'm laying it down. You see, if Jesus would have not given up his life, he'd have never died. He'd have never died. You ever think about that? Because the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. So death has no hold on Jesus. The only way Jesus died is not because he was scourged, not because he was crucified. The only way Jesus dies is because Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, gives up his life. That's the only way Jesus dies. In fact, he says this in the Gospel of John. He says, I lay down my life so that I may take it back again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. He laid it down. Opportunity taken. You know what? We have that same opportunity that we can take because Jesus said no one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You and I can be like Jesus. Instead of waiting for other people to take something from us, let's be like Jesus and say, it's already being laid down. I'm laying it down. Because what we as Christians need to realize is the world and no one in this world can take anything from us that's truly of value and worth. So why are we all, you know, worried about having something taken from us whenever we should be laying it down in the first place, just like Jesus. So that's the first opportunity taken. The second one is this. Notice Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The word commit means to be safe. It means to place something into the care of another for safekeeping. Jesus saying, my spirit, Father, I'm giving to you for safekeeping. It's yours. Do you know that's an opportunity that you and I have every day to literally place into the hands of our loving Heavenly Father stuff for safekeeping and trusting him with it? Maybe it's something, maybe it's someone, but you and I have that same opportunity that we can take every day that we live to commit something into the hands of our Heavenly Father. What better hands to be in than the one who holds everything in his hands, amen? What about you this morning? Will you take those opportunities, not lose those opportunities? Time is precious, life is fleeting, life is going by, years, months, weeks, days. Are we as the servants of the Lord taking the opportunities we have in this one life that we get? Are we gaining those opportunities? And especially when we look at Jesus, instead of waiting or worrying about somebody taking something from us, Let's be like Jesus and just already say, I've got the power to lay it down. I'm laying it down because I want to, not because you're taking anything from me. And second, the things that are most valuable to me, guess what? I'm placing them into the hands of my Heavenly Father because there's no better hands for anything to be in than His. What is it that you and I need to literally place into the hands of Of our Heavenly Father today knowing that there could be no better hands to put something in than the hands that are holding everything anyway will you stand with me father God thank you for being who you are and who you are to us God thank you that it wasn't the Romans or the Jews that kept you on that cross it was your love for us that kept you there You laid down your life out of your great love for us. May we lay down our lives for others just like you, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.